Hi, and welcome to a special edition of Promo Insiders, an ASI media podcast covering the topics that matter most to the promotional products industry. I'm Digital Content Director Vinny Driscoll, and today I'm joined by Sarah Lewandowski, Executive Editor of Digital Content for ASI Media and Editor of Promogram Canada. In this pre-recorded audio chat from Twitter Spaces, Lewandowski interviews a panel of guests, including Kathy Chang, Danny Bronstein, and Russell Bird about the state of the Canadian promo products industry heading into the fourth quarter. Where are the headwinds and where are the opportunities north of the border? Find out right now. All right, hello everyone and welcome to today's promo space. I'm your host slash facilitator, Vinny Driscoll from ASI, and I'm thrilled to share the co-hosting duties today with Sarah Lewandowski, ASI's Executive Editor of Digital Content and the Editor of Promogram Canada. Sarah, welcome to the promo space. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So our topic today is the state of the Canadian promo market heading into Q4. So also joining us for today's conversation is uh, a bevy of guests who Sarah will introduce momentarily. But first, I'd like to take a second to discuss how this uh, space works. Sarah and the guests will engage in a Q&A, so I encourage everyone to save their comments or questions for the end of the segment. Once it's finished, you can request the mic, which is located at the bottom left-hand corner of your your phone. Um, If you're on desktop, unfortunately, you can't request a mic. You can only listen. Um, So yeah, that's it. Once you request a mic, I can put you on stage, um, and then you can have the mic and, and add to the conversation. So Sarah, take it away. Okay, great. Thank you, Vinny. And yeah, just as a reminder, if you're a speaker, but you aren't speaking, if you could just be on mute, that would be great. It just minimizes some of the ambient noise um, while everyone else is speaking. So yeah, um, again, thanks, Vinny. Thanks to our panelists for being here. Thanks, uh, guests, for listening in. Um, We're pleased to welcome a few Canadian promo industry veterans to our promo space today to talk about what business is like and what they're forecasting for the fourth quarter, the all-important fourth quarter. Here with us are Kathy Chang, founder and president of Redwood Classics Apparel in Toronto. We have Danny Bronstein, the Winnipeg-based director of client success for Bamco in Canada. And we also have Russell Bird, who's the owner of the Promo Addict in Sherwood Park, Alberta. So I wanted to get kind of a, a sampling of provinces in our conversation conversation today. So we were able to do that, which is awesome. So I appreciate that, guys. So um, let's start west. So let's start with Russell and Alberta. Um, the, the first question I have for you right now, um, as a Canadian in Alberta, um, as a resident there, what is reopening looking like in your province at this point? Could you give us a rundown of that? Yeah, absolutely. So they implemented a uh a vaccine port passport exemption system in Alberta a couple weeks ago, or I guess a week ago. Um, and what that did was it allowed um, retail stores and restaurants when they first announced it to check people for their vaccine passports in order to not put in restrictions. Um, that's gone off uh, a little bit turbulently. A lot of people weren't expecting it. Um, you know, uh, businesses were a little bit hesitant to be forced into policing the public. Um and so there was a lot of division within Alberta uh, municipalities on how how it should be um, put out there. Um, but since it's gone off, um, I've seen um, a lot of opportunity for businesses to just keep going with the kind of the status quo. Um, I went out for dinner last night to a restaurant and, you know, they checked my pa- vaccine passport when I sat down at the table 
and I had a great dinner. Um, the restaurant was busy. And so I think that there, there is an opportunity for people to continue to do business. Um, there has been an uptick, uptick in people getting the vaccine since they implemented this. And uh, I think because of that, there's a lot of um, positive thinking into what's going to happen here in the fourth quarter because people can plan around uh, making events happen, um, you know, hosting people for dinner. Um, and, and around those events, a lot, a lot of business does happen. And so I, I'm, I'm looking very positively towards the fourth quarter here in Alberta. Okay, great. Thank you, Russell. And moving east, let's go to Danny in Manitoba. Danny, what is your province looking like with reopening? Um, we we're hit really hard by the third wave here, and we're in lockdown for uh, for a good chunk of the summer. So when we started to reopen, uh, I would say we had uh, what I would call a bit of a false start. Uh, we opened wide open. The government had no restrictions at all. And uh, there was actually quite a bit of pushback, and they, they quickly backpedaled on that uh, a few weeks later. And uh, I'd say we're in a pretty good place now. I mean, similar to what's going on in Alberta, like, like Russell mentioned, um, everything's open. You know, restaurants are open, bars are open, live events are at full capacity, gyms are open. Uh, as long as you're wearing a mask and you've got proof of double vaccination, I mean, life's about as normal as it can be right now. And uh yeah, I mean, it's, we're starting to see business come back, and a lot of the businesses that were hit hardest by it are are finally starting to uh, get some people in the doors again. So uh, I would say we're we're in a good place here in Manitoba right now, for sure. Okay, great. Thank you, Danny. Some bright spots, sounds like. And Kathy in Toronto, our supplier, how are things looking there? Um, I would say similar to Danny out in Manitoba, in, Onto uh, in Ontario, our third um, lockdown was, was pretty tough. It was, uh, I believe the BBC uh, indicated that it was probably the longest shutdown globally. So it was a little bit challenging, needless to say. Um, but effective this Wednesday, actually, we started a um, vaccination mandate. So it's really, um, you know, we're requiring people to be fully vaccinated and to provide proof of their vaccination to access certain businesses and settings. Um, so that, that's been good. Um, it hasn't been on an app quite yet. Uh, however, I believe the app is supposed to come out on October 22nd. Um, but we have seen an intake and I believe the numbers were just announced about an hour or so ago uh, for today, for this week in Ontario, and our numbers are just under 700 new cases. So pretty decent. Um, school started about a couple, a week and a half ago. So I think we're still, you know, we're, we're hopeful that the numbers remain low. Um, but overall, I think we're, we're managing. I'm really glad to see that the mandate is out there because it allows a number of small businesses um, to, to hopefully remain open, especially for Q4, right? Great. Thank you, Kathy. So, and Kathy, I'm going to continue with you for the next question, which how does, it sounds like um, from what all three of you have said, it sounds like there are um, positive movements forward, but also because like you just mentioned, the lockdown was so long. You guys really, really went through it. It was one of the world's longest. Your whole um, kind of cumulative lockdown was so long. And there were a lot of false starts when you thought things were looking better and then you were under lockdown again. And so there's this long-term kind of deep, um, I would say, 
kind of PTSD or, you know, a, a trauma about what happened. And so people are a little bit apprehensive still. So how is it the fact that, you know, you're seeing um, these bright spots who's moving forward, is that translating into a gradual pretty, um, I would say, a, a, a solid moving forward in your business as far as those clients that maybe weren't buying during the pandemic? Are they starting to buy again? How are sales looking this month compared to a year ago? Um, thank you for asking. I would say at this point, we're knock on wood doing pretty decent. Um, because of our product category, which is in knits, um, I would say that we have been, we have been steady, and we have been busy the entire time at Redwood Classics, our blanks, pro, it's our wholesale blanks program, premium blanks program. And essentially, as everything is made in Canada, we are doing domestic production. We, you know, to say that we have no issues with supply chain would be a lie. However, I think relative to some of the other suppliers in our channel, um, because we are making domestically and we stock quite a bit of raw material, um, our delivery and turnaround um, has been much quicker. I know inventory has has been a constant issue and, and has been a headliner for for our industry, um, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, our refill, that's what we're doing here. So our inventory has been um, how quickly we're able to refill because we own and operate our business. I think the support for local businesses and domestic manufacturing has been strong. And really right now, I think the, the challenge is how do we convert the support into shifting buying habits and recognizing that North American makers are actually competing cents to a dollar in terms of labor and operating costs. So, you know, the cost of um, goods sold is obviously very high, um, but it's really a question of do you want delivery or do you want or, or are you willing to pay for the cost right now? Okay. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's still some headwinds that are going to be um, that the industry is going to have to face, even with those bright spots. Um, we will we will talk about that too. But yeah, there are still some challenges that are existing. And it's it's not just because of the virus. I think it has forced, um, like you said, kind of a change in how businesses are, are going to market and how they're marketing and promoting um, their brand and their message. And so how can our companies in this industry be at the forefront of that? I think that's going to come into play and it's going to come to the forefront uh, very soon. And Danny, let's let's continue with you. How is business at BAMCO in Canada? Um, uh, is it are, are your clients starting to buy again that maybe weren't buying before? And what is um, what are sales looking like um, compared to a year ago in September 2020? Yeah, I mean, things are really good, actually. Business is good. Uh, I mean, Bamco had a phenomenal year last year. I mean, doubling doubling in size revenue-wise uh, in the middle of the pandemic is was pretty incredible. And, uh, you know, here in Canada, we're, we're well ahead of where we were last year in September. Um, and we're looking uh, as a company to have another really strong year. Uh, so the big difference this year is that we're selling a lot more traditional promotional products and a lot less PPE, which, you know, it's also a really good sign for the long-term prospects of our business as well. So, yeah, I mean, overall, uh, things are things are really, really good. Fantastic. That's great to hear. And Russell, how about you? Um, how's business at your company? And um, how is it compared to a year ago? You know, we're seeing a really interesting trend this year. Um, our number of sales is quite a bit less than last year. Um, you know, we, we've seen about 30% less sales than 2020. However, our average order size has increased by about 65%. 
And so because of that, we're at, we, we're about, we're up about 30% in revenue and we're about 5% up on our 2019 numbers. Um, so we're feeling really, really positive, but it's a really interesting trend to see the average order size spike by so much because it was so consistent for so long. Great. And thank you. And I, I was curious, what do you attribute that to the increase in order size, particularly? Cause that's a pretty significant percentage. Yeah, I, I think it's because um, it's, it's less small and medium-sized companies that are ordering and more big companies. Um, and what, when they're, when they're buying something, they're, they're going all in on it, right? They, they, they order more of one thing, um, which is, I think also what's contributing to some of the inventory issues in our industry is that, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world are coming in and just wiping out everything, um, not leaving anything le left for the little guys. Um, but that's okay. Cause the little guys aren't ordering as much. Great, thank you. Yeah, we will get to uh, we'll get to the uh, the inventory challenges as uh, Chris is here. He knows all about that. Um, yeah, the supply chain and, and inventory has been a trip this year. So um, now, Danny, I wanted to jump to you again. Um, I know that even with the bright spots on the horizon for Canada, I know that employers have been cautious on bringing people back to the office and maybe a few people in it maybe once a week but it's not the big wave back that we had kind of hoped for or expected a year and a half after the pandemic started so i know that distributors have been telling me that they're seeing and suppliers that they're still seeing a lot of kidding and fulfillment that's really like winning the day at this point is that the case for you guys? Is that where you're seeing opportunity? Has that shifted at all in the past few weeks or even couple months? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question, Sarah. I mean, I mean, the back to work didn't go exactly as planned, as we all know. So, I mean, a lot of that planning had to be rejigged or postponed. Uh, still, we're still quite busy uh, in kidding uh, people working from home. Uh, I mean, our holiday gifts, uh, we really did an early push for that. So we were strong in that area. Um, I mean, our retail programs are strong. I mean, our B2B and our B2C web store business is strong right now. Um, and I think the other big conversation we're having with a lot of our, a lot of our accounts and certainly our enterprise accounts is uh, on employee retention and recognition programs. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of opportunity in that arena as well. So um, I, I would say it's pretty, it's pretty varied. I mean, if you, you know, as opposed to last year when you talked to me and, you know, all we were talking about was masks and hand sanitizer. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't be happier <laughs> right now, to be honest. Yeah, that is, that's promising. I know we had just reported this week, my colleague, John Corrigan reported that PPE demand has increased here. I think because of, you know, the mask mandates and, and people starting to get worried about cold and flu season again. So um, yeah, so it sounds like right now not being and not having to um, always sell PPE and being able to get more into the traditional promo is a really good uh, development for you guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy for PPE to be a new category as opposed to the only category, <laughs> you know, so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, great. Thank you. And so, Russell, you had brought up the fact that these bigger corporations were buying and, and you that's what you attribute the larger order sizes to. Can you tell me a little bit about what they're using that promo for? Um, what is their what has been their strategy these these past couple of months? I know that um, Danny mentioned, you know, the retention and recognition, which has been so big. Yeah. So like we, we do business with like a, a local college 
And, um, you know, they, they used to order, you know, a hundred water bottles at a time. But when you have the conversation with them and you say like, listen, there's the inventory challenges right now, they say, okay, turn around and they order 2000 water bottles because they know that they'll, they, they're not going to expire and they'll use them eventually. And that way they have them and they can control their own inventory as opposed to having to sit back and, and hope and pray that it's available when they need it. Um, I am curious though, um, to hear what, um, everyone else's opinion is on innovation in the PPE space, because I think that um, masks, you know, everyone thought they were going to come and then go. I think that there was a lot of fear this summer that, you know, we, we started stocking masks in our, in our space and printing them on demand. Um, we, we, we tried to wind down our inventory um, like in the first quarter of this year, because we thought that we weren't going to need them anymore. We've done more mask orders since the, uh, the vaccine passport came out in Alberta than we probably did all year. Um, and what I was astonished by is, you know, you walk around our office and you talk to our customers and say, hey, like, what's your favorite mask? And people's favorite mask is still the favorite mask that they had from last year. No one's innovated in that space in our industry because everyone thought that it was going to go away and they were going to get stuck with inventory. But now here we are, you know, almost two years into this pandemic and we're still wearing the same you know, pieces of polyester on our face. There's, there haven't been those, you know, an N95 crossover with a mask that I've seen. And I think that if someone was to do that, uh, it could be pretty incredible in our industry. So yeah, PPE is, in, oh, sorry, no, so if, I, if I can jump sure. in as a supplier, I mean, especially to say you want an N95 mask and instead of innovating a mask, how about we just shift to more natural fibers? The fact that there is so much polyester out there, um, if we were to go from polyester based to cotton based, I think that would be a nice little innovation as it is. Um, I think those things are out there, but it's still very much uh, people are looking at mask and as, um, you know, as a low ticket item, as opposed to, you know, can we invest in better quality? And to add to your point, Russell, about the increase per value order, I totally agree. We're seeing it on our end as well. And we're a premium supplier. So um, the, the order size is, is definitely getting bigger. The quantities are much bigger. Um, but I think it's also consumers are recognizing that there's quite a bit of value to invest in quality, which really leads into sustainability. And so instead of buying more, I think what we're seeing is that um, people are buying better. And especially when you're focusing on employee retention. So that's just something I wanted to add on to your point of, you know, your per order cost. I mean, your per order value being higher. It's just people are buying better. And that's, yeah, that, very, that's very, very refreshing to see in our industry. That is a really good point, Kathy. I, I didn't actually run like a report to see like, you know, number of units per order. It's just simply a report showing the order value. And I think you could be right there. You know, instead of people ordering a $50 jacket, they're ordering a $100 jacket. And if it's the same volume, that does double the value of the order. And I, I also want to throw out and say that um, the masks that you made for Common Skew earlier this year, uh, that was my favorite mask for about three months <laughs> until I, I wore it right out. I think I was wearing uh it every day. Well, I think I need to send you some more because the Common Skew one actually is also printed using 100% biodegradable ink. So that's where I, when you said innovation, I'm like, there's innovation out there. It's just whether or not it's fully adapted by 
um, the marketplace because I think there still is that sentiment that masks may be, you know, cheap and cheerful. It's it's not a, you know, from a high ticket item perspective, it's not the highest ticket item. However, um, I think there's a need to really look at investing in quality. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I think PPE as a permanent category for us and how like I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, especially it's probably still going on, but the the disposing of PPE was such a mess. Like there'd be masks all like, we're, you know, there was all this worry about the, the plastic bags and the straws. And then it became like added to that was the masks all over the ground and the gloves all over. The, people literally would just shed their gloves in the parking lot at the grocery store and drive away. And it was people were flushing their PPE and it was causing like a lot of problems. So how do we what is the next phase of PPE now that it's it sounds like it's going to be with us for like the foreseeable future? And like you're saying, how, do, how does that become a higher ticket item and not like uh, low hanging fruit for for our industry? I think that's a discussion of just, you know, how do we shift our industry to not always go for the lowest hanging fruit? Because if you think about it, I mean, there's there's over one and a half billion pounds of used clothing that gets exported from America each year. And it ends up in Ghana or Africa. And it's actually estimated about 40 percent ends up rotting in landfills and it's creating an environmental disaster. So instead of dealing with the problem of landfill items and cheap and cheerful products um, and disposing it in, you know, our North America, we're actually just moving the problem and giving it to less fortunate and less resource intent, uh, resource available um, countries and, and areas. So I think that's something as an industry, we have such an opportunity to address here. No, well said. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, Kathy, actually, if we could continue with you, I wanted to ask you about like we had said, I know there's some positive developments in Canada. It sounds like things are moving forward. But where are the headwinds that you've been contending with recently for, for your operation in particular? Oh, I would say um, labor is definitely challenging. Labor, I think, is across all industries. Like I had mentioned before, supply chain challenges still persist uh, logistics of course the cost of logistics has gone up tremendously I would say pre-covid um, let's say a container was four or five thousand dollars USD we're looking now I think I just signed my latest invoice that or latest quote I just signed off was for just under twenty five thousand I mean that's a ridiculous increase so we're definitely seeing an increase in cost of goods sold from logistics to raw materials, even within our raw materials, uh, from our yarn supplier, from the our U.S. yarn supplier, actually, their pricing has gone up eight times since spring of this year. So from a supplier standpoint, how much are we able to eat into our own margins before some of, some of these costs have to be shared? And that's where inflation is going to happen. So that's kind of what I see. Thank you. Yeah, I know inflation is very high right now across Canada. Um, I think it's at a, almost a 20 year high. And uh, I was speaking this week to a few people in promo up there. And um, yeah, the housing prices, it's a it's becoming very, very expensive to live in Canada at all. So, um, yeah, things that the, the government there is going to have to contend with pretty soon. Um, Danny, let's jump to you. What what headwinds are you seeing as moving to Q4? 
Sarah, I think Danny broke off for a second. Can you ask that question again of Danny? Oh, sure. Yeah, Danny, I'm just curious what um, headwinds you're seeing now in, in the business as we move into Q4. Sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing headwinds in, in certain respects. I mean, certainly... Uh, the supply chain issue i mean it's it's the worst i've ever seen and uh you know i, I expect they're gonna continue to get worse before they improve i think that uh i think the uncertainty around the delta variants definitely creating a lot of planning headaches and i mean ultimately it's resulting in hesitation around event planning and hesitation about return to work plans for for companies so yeah i mean we're certainly we're certainly seeing some headwinds at the moment yeah yeah exactly that apprehension and um um just the the hesitancy to to really make solid plans when you know as we've seen things can change very 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 quickly it's really putting a damper on things um great and russell how about you what are the um what are the headwinds you're seeing possibly return now that we're heading into q4 you know what, we've actually had quite a bit of interest in doing China direct imports from some of our customers. We're talking like large orders of tote bags, large orders of gloves, things like that. Um, you know, importing from China right now, this time of year, it gets pretty dicey on whether or not your stuff's going to hit the water before Chinese New Year. And uh, there, there's a lot of people right now acting to try to get those orders in so that they will ship prior to the New Year. Um but I, I've also heard rumblings that this uh, the shipping crisis with the increased costs could be mitigated by the Chinese New Year because the cost increases right now are being forced by volume. But when Chinese New Year happens, there will be a you know a one month break where they're not going to be manufacturing and shipping. So I've heard theories that that backlog might get you know sort of taken care of. So if you wait until May to order your products, you could have significantly decreased logistics costs of, uh, you know, buying a container might be 10,000 instead of the 30,000 we're seeing right now. Um, you know, am I an economist? Do I know that for sure? Absolutely not. But I, I have heard rumblings that there's, there's hope that that will be the case. Yeah. If you can wait a little while for your orders, it may uh, behoove you to do so because like you said, like the Chinese new year. Yeah. Definitely does um, cause some um, complexities when it comes to timing and communicating that to customers, I'm sure can be challenging at times too. not always taking that into account. So yeah, that's a really great point. And um, Kathy wanted to jump back to you too. So the, the hiring and staffing that you had mentioned, I mean, I, I just as a Canadian on the ground, is it as crazy as it is here? We're literally like every single business has a help wanted sign in the window because that's pretty much how it is here in the States. I would say from my perspective and what I'm seeing on the ground, definitely uh, we've got we've hired we've probably hired for five new positions and the turnover um with with just you know people having to stay at home um people being on uh serb um definitely has has been a challenge and that's you know direct for our business but then even my local supplier um, the supply chain, the local supply chain that we're having. Every business that I know um, and entrepreneurs that I've been in touch with or we talk about 
um, business, everyone is experiencing the same challenge. And it doesn't matter from what industry to different capacities, from entry level jobs to even on the, you know, um, executive levels as well. It's definitely a an employee's market right now. Yes, I've heard of, um, you know, very generous base pay to start. And um, some people will accept the job and then not show up for their first day or they they last a week and then they leave. So, yeah, it's, it's been a major headache for employers right now. Um, Russell, are you? Oh, sorry. No, Kathy, you want to say something? No, I was just going to say also yeah. what we're also seeing as a trend are signing bonuses. So to get you to move over to the next job, they're getting uh, people are offering signing bonuses. But this is all leading to inflation, right? Like I, I just where we're, I feel like we're, we're kind of tricking ourselves here. It's, it's great. Yes, I do believe people should be making more. I'm, I'm not saying that's not the case. However, um, this is similar to the logistics costs. It's, it's supp- basic supply and demand in economies right now in economics. Kathy, it's interesting you mentioned the signing bonuses thing. Um, we had an interesting thing going on right now where we're looking to hire a new marketing manager. And so we put up a job posting and we obviously work with a lot of marketing agencies. And so yesterday I had a meeting with two of my marketing agencies and they asked, you know, why am I not using them to do my marketing and instead hiring in-house? And the simple answer is socialism. Um, the Liberal government in Canada recently announced a 25% subsidy for all new job creation. And so if the government's going to pay 25% of the salary costs of a new employee in my business, that is that goes against the marketing companies because it's cheaper for me to hire somebody in-house, get a 25% wage subsidy than it would be for me to go out and hire them and then get no subsidy because they're not an employee. So it's super interesting to see government competing with private enterprise in that, in that sense. Um, I think it's important that we do create new jobs, but I don't think they realize how much competition they're creating um, in the workforce for people to move. Well, yeah, agree with I agree with you, Russell, uh, but that's also a reflection of our latest outcome of the SNAP election, right? <laughs> I think that's where we're seeing the sentiments. Oh, the SNAP election. <laughs> yeah, I heard all yeah. about that. I you did know not know in Canada that we just go call there? an election. <laughs> do, you, do you know what's funny about the SNAP election? People complain that it, it costs $600 million. And... I have, I have no problem with that as long as the money is spent domestically. Um, I think that, that, you know, the federal government going out and buying, you know, $100 million of election signs is fine as long as they bought it using local promo and print companies, right? You want to print a, a thousand t-shirts with election coverage on them? Sure, do that. But make sure you're using local suppliers to make them. Um, I and will say that... know that that's the case, though. Well, and I can say... transparency in that in this government. I can say 100% that I know that that was not the case this year um, because we didn't see one sniff of election business um, because it was a snap election, right? Because it happened so fast, I don't know what they spent the money on. Obviously, radio and television, um, but we didn't print a single button, a single lanyard, a single T-shirt for anybody who was running in our riding. Uh, It was kind of astonishing. You know, we've done a ton of municipal election stuff, but we didn't do anything for the federal government. So I don't know where they spent that $600 I think they bought probably $150 million worth of one-use pencils when you check the box. Yeah, that's true. And they don't have a logo on them. <laughs> nope. Yeah, the pencils thing. That was new for me. I was like, a pencil. It looks like a golf pencil. But I noticed that there's no branding. And I thought, wow, that's a real, like, 
I mean, it's a missed opportunity for branding. I don't know that you can because you're using it to vote, but and there could be some conflict there. But I just was very intrigued by the pencil thing. <laughs> well, I think it's because it's a snap election, as, as to Russell's point, there wasn't really much time to procure anything, right? Yeah, are they usually not branded, the pencils? They would be plain, I would assume, maybe. I don't know. I think that could be like a conflict, perhaps. But well, um, it is branded Canada, right? It could be uh, branded Canada. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I figured that would be like a missed opportunity, perhaps. But it sounds like it was kind of a rushed. How I mean, how much notice did you all have for this election? I think it was 32 um, days. I think it's like the, the legal yeah. minimum requirement. Yeah, that's wild. That would not fly here. We gear ourselves up like every two years for another election cycle, like midterms, presidential, midterms, presidential. So we're very used to that cycle. So like we can, I, Americans can't even fathom that. <laughs> That's crazy. I um, don't think Canadians were that thrilled about it. either. Yeah. quite honestly, Sarah. That's what I heard. And I heard it for like what amounted to basically the same government after the election, which was, right. uh, which was interesting. Um, and, and Danny, I just want to jump to you real quick, um, just about some um, hiring or staffing issues that you're seeing on the ground that perhaps you're having at BAMCO, um, things that you're, you're seeing in your local area as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, to, uh, to, to Russell and Kathy's point, I mean, I think everyone's having staffing problems right now for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, when, when Tim Hortons is giving signing bonuses, you know, it's tough to find people. Um, I mean, I think in particular, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough hiring market, particularly in the world of warehousing and logistics and, uh, you know, the conversations we're having with our clients. I mean, I think they're feeling it even more than we are. Uh, I think it's just I think it's just the way things are right now, to be honest. Yep, understood. Yeah. Um, finally, just the um, last question I had for the three of you before we open it up to the group. So uh, we talked about heading into Q4. Uh, let's start with Russell. What are you? What is your gut feeling for the industry in Q4? There have been challenges already. Obviously, Q4 is next week technically. So, um, what are you predicting for Q4? And um, are you expecting certain opportunities, perhaps in gifting for employees? That may be a big one. Um, and also, what challenges are you gearing up for as well? Yeah, last year in Q4, we had our best Q4 in the company's history. Um, despite the fact that we had a down year, we really stormed back at the end. And I'm predicting much of the same for this year. Um, we, you know, we've seen bright spots through August and September, um, seeing like huge increases in sales from earlier on in the year. And so I think that trend is going to continue. We were anticipating a lot of back to back to the office in September, uh, you know, right when school got back in. Uh, that did not happen. Uh, a lot of our customers canceled the back to back to work orders um, because the government issued a work from home order. Um, but I think people are going to be planning to to retry again in the new year, and they're going to plan bigger. Um, they're going to plan some giveaways. They're going to plan their Christmas giveaways. Um, you know, I think I think you're going to see trade shows come back in the spring. Um, you know, I just I just got did a quote for the Edmonton RV show uh, the other day. And, uh, you know, they're planning to go ahead with it. And so I think there's a lot of optimism on getting back together in person. And uh, because of that, I think I think we will reap the fruits of it. Awesome. I love it. And Danny, how about you? Um, what are you predicting for Q4? And, you know, like like Russell said, even into Q1 of next year, 
um, what are the opportunities and challenges you're preparing for? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the individual and the organization. Uh, I mean, there's certainly certainly opportunities if you know where to look and if you have the ability to capitalize on them. Um, I'd say overall, I'm as an optimist, I'm cautiously optimistic about the overall state of the Canadian industry in Q4. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm really optimistic about our specific opportunities at Bamco. Um, you know, I can't speak to what's going on everywhere else. Uh, I, I'd say cautiously optimistic. I think uh, I think people are still going to order holiday gifts. I think people are going to you know spend spend those year end budgets still. Um, but I think there's still a lot of uncertainty in the market. So it'll we're just going to have to sort of wait and watch. I think. Great. Thank you. And Kathy, how about you? What is your feeling for Q4 and, and moving into Q1? So what I'll do is let's talk about some of the challenges first and hopefully we'll end on a good note on my answer with some positive opportunities I see. So some of the challenges I think we'll be preparing for is inflation, the rising prices across the board from raw materials to logistics to labor. That's that's not going to go away. Um, and to Danny's point, I think managing uncertainties. Um, it's a fluid situation. So between vaccination eff efficacy to health and safety mandate, it really varies by localized economies. And then the labor shortage, which I believe we're all experiencing. So some of the, those are some of the challenges. In terms of opportunities, um, I mean, I think buying and supporting local is still strong. Um, and also many of the SMEs to, to support SMEs, small and medium-sized businesses, I mean, small businesses employ about just under 70% in the private sector in Canada. So that, that's quite a pretty strong, um, you know, sector and, and opportunity. I think that we've realized we need to support each other. Um, and I think diversity, supporting marginalized communities, including women, BIPOC, LGBTQ plus veterans and special ability business owners. Um, many of them are marginalized. I mean, upcoming on September 30th is our National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. And it's a reminder that we're no different than, you know, our neighbors south of us. And that as Canadians, we too need to recognize, learn and educate ourselves on our tainted history. And uh, we need to recognize that the burden of educating non-Indigenous Canada isn't just on marginalized communities. It's on all of us. Thank you, Kathy. Well said. Yeah, um, definitely a lot of things we have to, uh, you know, address and um, be more educated about, for sure. And it's going to move us together, I think, in the next couple of years, for sure. Just that, that newfound... Um, discovery that we we really do need to focus on those important things as well as as humans. So, uh, Vinny, turn it back over to you if we want to open up to the group. Yes, certainly. Thank you, everyone. That was a great conversation. And now I invite anybody who has a comment or question uh, to hit the uh, request mic um, little icon in the bottom left-hand corner, um, and I will get you on stage. Um, Michelle um, Merrifield, not Michelle Bell, you're already a speaker. Do you have any comments or questions for the uh, panel? No, I think um, what I'm hearing talking to uh, distributor sales reps and suppliers was all covered for sure. 
Well, thank you. I, I do have, as we, as I wait for anyone who, who might want to uh, join the conversation to send me a request, I do have a comment or a question. I have sort of both. Now, um, down here in the States, we, you know, sporting events, concerts, they seem to be, you know, full, you know, we're, we're all, you know, full steam ahead here. Um, but I do hear rumblings about the fall potential cancellations. Um, what is it like up in Canada in terms of sporting events, large gatherings? Are they, are, are they at a hundred percent capacity? Are they, are they scaled back significantly, significantly? What does it look like for the, for Q4? I can jump into that one. <clears throat> so I am an Edmonton Oilers season ticket holder. And uh, the, the word on the street is that the arena will be full for the first preseason game and all games moving forwards. They are requiring a vaccine to enter the building or a negative test from a private retailer um, within, I think it's 48 or 72 hours. Um, however, I was watching uh, the Blue Jays b baseball game on TV the other day, and they brought on a Sportsnet analyst to talk about um, what they thought about that. And they, they were saying that it's a terrible idea that they should not be operating at full capacity. Uh, I'm torn on it. I, I th I'm excited to get back to the arena. I really hope they do continue to go ahead. I am fully vaccinated. Um, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that someone who, you know, gets paid with TV advertising would want everyone to be watching from home. So I think there's a lot of, you know, big market players that have a say on what's going to happen next. Um, but I, I, I think they're going to go ahead very similar to what we're seeing in the States with full capacity arenas. Well, speaking, well, I would, uh, you know, I would say from Ontario or the Blue Jays, the home of the Blue Jays here in Toronto, um, the latest rumbling is because I believe the, the Jays are doing well. I'm not a sports fan, so I apologize in advance, but there, are, um, there is a request to increase capacity. I believe right now um, the outdoor venues are allowing up to 75% of pre-COVID capacity. Um, but they're, and at the point right now, I believe it is 15,000 up to 30,000. So they really do want to increase capacity and the mask mandate, um, sorry, and the vaccination mandate is definitely in play there as well. Yeah, Kathy, the Blue Jays are doing really well this year. Um, they may make the playoffs. They, the division they're in is very tough. Um, but but it's shocking that they only have 15,000 fans. When I look at American stadiums, um, you know, even in the beginning of the season, I think that the Texas Rangers had full capacity. This is in April. Um, but, yeah, I think sporting events, um, and Russell, to your point about hockey, I think I read today that every arena except for two – was going to be at full capacity. Um, so, so that's interesting. Um, even in, you know, from a Canadian perspective that they're going to allow most of the teams to, to have full capacity. Um, Michelle, you have your hand up. Um, do you want to join on this? Sure. Thank you. Um, I know that there have been, uh, there was a, a road show out West a couple weeks ago, um, a multi-line rep show. And then we do have um, an industry event in Toronto on the 20th of October. And so I'll be there <laughs> at, masked and uh, hand sanitizer in my pocket. But um, it'll be curious to see what the turnout is. People I've talked to, I, I spoke to someone 
in eastern Ontario this morning and and they're not going and typically they would be there. So there is definitely some unrest about um, feeling safe to go is what I'm hearing. You, you know, um, I was just at a concert on Tuesday and it was a large capacity, you know, 30,000 or so. Um, and it was, there was a lot of people that didn't go, you know, and I was following the conversations in the forums of Facebook because uh, it's a band I follow around. And a lot of people have, you know, 11th hour hesitation, cold feet, selling tickets. And I, and I did see a lot of um, empty seats at a venue that I don't t- typically see empty seats. So, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where I think going into the fall cold and flu season, I think we're going to start to see some, you know, more cancellations here in the States, uh, you know, at least from a, from a concert perspective. I don't, you know, the big sporting events, I think they're going to continue to go on. Um, but there is some, there are some hesitations here in the States for sure. Yeah. I mean, Michelle, I can jump in uh, a bit. I mean, I, I sit on the board of, uh, of the PPPC, so I have a little bit of insight and I mean, I can tell you all, I'll be out, uh, I'll be out in Toronto for my first trip in, uh, in a year and a half for the show uh, next month. And I would say, you know, the early feedback we're hearing is that for the most part, people are excited and they want to get, they want to get back together. And I think that's, you know, one of the best things about this industry is the, uh, is the personal aspect of it. And, uh, you know, we're in a fun business and uh, I think everyone's zoomed out and they don't want to see zoom PKs. I mean, they want to get back together and, and, and talk and, uh, and just have that experience that, uh, that that makes our unique industry so wonderful. So, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it. I am as well. Can't wait to see you there. All right. <laughs> I'll be there. First round's on Sounds me. good. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten any um, requests for the mic. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to invite the panel. Sarah, anybody here who is a speaker now, if you want to... Um, ask each other any questions, you know, feel free to do so. We have about 10 minutes left. Um, you know, feel free to use the time however you see fit. I know Michelle Bell, unfortunately, she's on a laptop right now and she cannot join the conversation because you can only do it uh, via phone. So does anybody else want to add to the conversation? Um, Danny, if I may, not necessarily add more. I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, Danny over there at Pam Bamco, um, are you seeing a lot of global programs given that you're, you're, you're managing the, the Canadian side here? Um, but are you seeing a lot of crossover from a global perspective in your programs? I just find that very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a global, we're a global company, um, you know, truly. So, I mean, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people say they do global programs and we, we do a number of them. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we work with probably 30, 30% of the Fortune 500. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing business all over the world. And we've got you know, offices in India, uh, offices in, in China, and offices in Vietnam. And, uh, yeah, a lot of what we do is, uh, you know, larger scale, what we call enterprise programs. And, uh, and to be honest, I would say, I don't think I'd be speaking at a school if I said that. We're, we're seeing more opportunities for for global programs, North American programs, um, you know, now than, than, you know, 
certainly ever in the past. It's the, there's lots of opportunities for that. So, Great, but are, are you seeing that if their global programs are the global offices localized and in, in request in their sourcing as well? Just out of curiosity. I think it depends on the business. Uh, I think a lot of them, you know, will originate out of uh, where, wherever the head office may be. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are, are coming into the United States and uh, it'll it'll start with uh, you know a U.S. based program. Then it might expand into oh, I see you have uh, operations in Canada. You know, can you cover us there as well? Oh, can you can you help us out in Mexico? Um, oh, we have offices in Europe. Are you able to help us there? I, I think it, it it's really individualized and depends on the organization. Uh, some of them happen organically like that. Some of them are you know will we'll come out of an RFP process where you're invited as a vendor to to bid on a on a global program um you know and there's a handful of companies in our space that that can manage that sort of thing so when you're looking at global programs especially in rfps are you finding that you're also being asked about uh supplier diversity and diverse suppliers and the reason why i'm asking is i mean in canada 98 percent of fortune 500 companies have a diversity mandate so i'm just curious from a global perspective um, as a global company, if you're seeing those RFPs, is it more North American that they're asking? Or from a global perspective, there's also the talk of supplier diversity and looking into supply chain and transparency. Yeah, I think I think that, uh, that that's become a big part of, uh, of, of NAV's requests. I mean, we've been, you know, BAMCO's been uh, a real leader in sustainability um, for a number of years, and we've got... Uh, you know, a compliance department, um, diversity uh, is also, you know, supplier diversity is, is also, you know, obviously a very important part of, of what we're doing from a, from a sourcing perspective. And, uh, you know, not really my area of expertise, but, uh, but you know, we've got a chief compliance officer, and I think we're, we're really ahead of the curve on a lot of that. It's been something that, uh, that the company's taken very seriously um, for a very long time before it uh, really came into focus. That's fantastic. And then I think, you know, in my humble opinion, we, we need more players like that. We need more market leaders um, that is really paying attention to ultimately what our end users are asking for, right? If we want a, a business um, and an industry to thrive, in my humble opinion. Yeah, no, 100%. I have a quick question for the group. This is from uh, Michelle, who's listening, but she was wondering um, the markets where you're finding success. Have you, we're curious about uh, with the pandemic and how things have shifted. Have you seen, I know we had talked about possibly, you know, PPE being a new category and that being a, a category that stays and how that could be more sustainable, made with more sustainable materials and decoration. Um, have you seen any market success with perhaps industries that are are new because of the pandemic new opportunities um because of shifts um, due to covid and how businesses are operating getting their message out there um i i can't speak on you know this is what i'm seeing this my visibility is probably an increase in um experiences you know, lots of experiences is, is how do we make high impact with experiences, which may not necessarily always translate into product. But I think, you know, promotional product is a, a wonderful medium and vehicle to enhance those experiences. Yeah, I mean, I can speak specifically. I know that we've seen good increases in, uh, in our customer base. That's uh, a lot of uh, 
sort of the the takeout retail um, uh, gig economy. You know, we've seen a lot of growth. You know, obviously a lot of people are you know weren't going out to restaurants, but they were ordering things for their homes. Um, so in that space, we've seen good increases uh, where those companies have been really successful. Uh, a lot of the larger technology companies have just crushed it in the last year and a half. Um, we work with a lot of those companies and, you know, they've seen some good growth. And as a result, we've seen some growth in our business with them as well. So there's certainly specific sectors, I think, that, uh, yeah, that we've seen, seen good growth in as a result of uh, what's happened in the last year, year and a half. Sarah, the biggest thing we've seen is the ability to take control of our own supply chain a little bit more. Um, we did start manufacturing products here um, and decorating products here at the Promo Addict um, early in the pandemic. Um, we felt like having the control of be able to print things in-house was something that was really important to us. And now as, you know, as we're doing this, I just watched our, uh, our seamstress come in for the day. And you know, the fact that you know, before the pandemic, we didn't do any in-house sewing, and now we have a seamstress is really, really cool. Uh, we also have a full-time press operator and a couple of part-time people who come in when we have overflow projects. And so having those people on hand for us has really increased our uh, viability on rush orders, getting things out quicker, controlling our own supply chains. And I think that's something that people are going to expect moving forwards uh, within the industry is the ability to, to pivot quicker, um, make products that are better and made locally. Um, and I, I think there's real opportunities there. And we're, we're pretty excited to be have taken advantage of that early on in the pandemic and continue to grow with it. If I may add, I think another opportunity would also be, you know, sustainability is not going away anytime soon, but really looking, shifting the narrative from um, what we're buying in terms of raw material and virgin material to also upcycling. You know, how do we do landfill waste diversion? I think that is something that is very interesting and has a lot of opportunities I mean, we've been upcycling branded merchandise for you know, five, six years now. But I would say in the past year, we're seeing a lot more interest. We're getting a lot more inquiries and just having those conversations where we're, we're able to, to run programs that we can quantify how much pound of wastage or textile waste you're now removing from the landfill. So I think there's definitely an opportunity there. Yeah, the sustainability um, and the consciousness of that. Yeah, definitely um, an opportunity for promo. And um, a question for Danny from Michelle. Danny, how is the cannabis market doing? Michelle points out that the alcohol market here is doing very well, particularly during COVID. Um, are you seeing a lot of opportunity with cannabis clients at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I guess the short answer is is yes. With And again, with certain with certain folks in that industry, um, you know, I think the alcohol, you know, pe people were drinking more, people were, were using cannabis products more over the last year and a half. And so I think from a sales perspective, yeah, I mean, those companies were selling more product and ultimately I think that some of that can trickle down. A lot of the cannabis companies in Canada in particular are struggling. Um, there's very few that are profitable. Um, so I think, it's it's uh it's a little bit of both uh, some of some of them some of them yes that we're seeing good growth with and others i think are buckling down and uh you know trying to trying to get through the next uh, the next six months at a time and, and not spending money on on some of the extra stuff i mean and there's also 
um, a lot of restrictions in Canada about what you can and can't do as far as marketing of cannabis, uh, a lot more restrictive than, than it is in the U.S. So um, it's, I'd say it's a, li- a little bit of both. I'm not sure if that, if that answers the question, but uh, some yes, some no, as my, as my grandmother used to say. Yeah, it sounds like there's some there's a little bit of nuance there, like you're saying the restrictions and also the messaging, how is the messaging being managed? And that's I think what we're seeing here is that it's becoming um, it's not like the Cheech and Chong anymore, right? It's becoming a high end, um, like the the, the uh, dispensaries look like Starbucks, you know, like really high end places. But how are they managing their marketing? How are they managing their messaging? And how do they align that with the government restrictions? So yeah, that's all something that um, promo can help with and, and leading them through that. So yeah, thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. All right. Well, it's two o'clock. This is perfect timing. I, I really want to thank everyone uh, for joining in this conversation and Sarah, of course, for hosting. I think this was a, a really great conversation. We're going to repurpose this content, as we mentioned earlier um, in the show. I'm going to export it and we'll create a podcast out of it and we'll make sure that everybody who's on this call, you know, gets a copy of it. Um so again, thank you guys for joining us. This is We're trying to do promo space every Friday at 1 o'clock. Next week, we have a really good topic. If you have 1 o'clock open, um, Eastern Standard Time, of course, um, promo supply chain and, a, and the Q4 crunch. We got Chris Ruvo, who's our resident um, expert for supply chain. He is going to be talking about, you know, what you should be mindful of in Q4, you know, what the status is uh, of the current supply chain. We're going to try to get a, a, an expert too in here, but the conversation is going to be basically the same Q and a, if you, if you want to jump in, um, join the conversation, you know, one o'clock next week. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining. And hopefully I will see you next week. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Thank Kathy. You. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks. 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 That was fun. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye. Take care.